This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation? Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then there was no longer any sea. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I saw, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things, older of things, old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Wipe every tear away, verse four. No more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. This is a prophecy that speaks of a future time. Now the challenge, the tension that I feel is you right now, the Bible tells us, I and you are a new creature. We're a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Like old things have Come new in our hearts. Okay? That's you in your walk with Christ, but then you're living in this world that is an old order still. So how do we live as a new creation in an old order? How do I live in a world where there are still tears in my eyes? Can I still live victoriously with tears in my eyes is one of the questions. And that's the question I want to answer today. Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom as we dive into your word, that your word would be the light and the lamp that you promised, that it would give us uh, the truth, that you would literally illuminate in this dark world the path that you want us on. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anybody remember uh, the 1992 vice presidential debate between Admiral Stockdale, Al Gore, this is before he inter- uh, invented the internet, um, and, Dan, and Dan Quayle, who, as I recall, couldn't spell potatoes, if I remember right. So, we, so, but, so Kyle Rucker remembers. Okay. Gridlock. So we're watching this debate. This is when Ross Perot, you know, what well, some folks don't seem to realize is... Uh, <laughs> is Texas billionaire, he's going to like, you know, dominate. But my, what I remember about this debate was the, the folks of Saturday Night Live were like, you've got to be kidding me. This is going to be gold for like months. Because Admiral Stockdale at some point, um, he's adjusting his hearing aid, if I remember right, because he didn't hear the question. And at some point he's like, who am I? And why am I here? And of course, Saturday Night Live went crazy with it. 
But then I didn't know this back then. I didn't know this until I later would read uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Has anyone read that book? It's maybe been a while for some of you. He gets to the part in this book where he speaks of James Stockdale, who had been in the Hanoi Hilton for seven years, that James Stockdale. And this guy, the Hanoi Hilton guy, seven years, the highest ranking uh, government official, army official being held in this camp is tortured. He's been in there seven years. I mean, this is the kind of torture where they're pulling out his fingernails, okay? So now imagine if you are James Stockdale and you are being subjected to questioning from some desk jockey with manicured fingernails and an Ivy League degree. You're sitting in between a couple of Nerf balls Trying to take these, like, I got to take this from you? I'd have turned my hearing aid off too. I don't have to take this. I'm in the Hanoi Hilton for crying out loud. Later when, when Collins released this book and I began to see a little bit more about what this guy's life was, one of the things that Colin brought up was uh, the, the, he asked him this question, what is it that made the difference between those who made it out of the Hanoi Hilton and those who didn't? And he said, oh, that's easy. The optimists didn't make it. It's not what you thought, right, when he was going to say that. The optimists didn't make it. The ones that thought, I'll be home by Thanksgiving, they'll be the ones that'll make it. The, the ones that thought, okay, I'm going to make it out by July 4th. I'll make it out by my birthday. He said that they had a false hope. They died of broken hearts because they didn't have the right hope. And so what Collins then basically coined this phrase is this idea of what is called the Stockdale paradox. And he said this, that you must never confuse faith that will, you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. That is the Stockdale paradox that I've got to have a faith, a hope that this is going to be okay with a simultaneous reality that we're in the middle of this. Those are not incongruent as far as the Bible is concerned. I would suggest to you that that hope that Stockdale talked about is actually similar to the, to the hope that uh, Viktor Frankl spoke of in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that you needed a hope that was transcendent. When he spoke of those who made it in the concentration camps, he spoke of those that like, uh, who, maybe he's lost his wife in, in the camp. And so he is now fueled with this hope that he is going to be reunited with her again and he wants her to be proud of him. It was what Frankel would talk about as like a transcendent meaning, a meaning that is above and beyond, a purpose that is above. It's a hope that goes above and beyond just getting out by Christmas. The Bible, by the way, I believe refers to that as what we call the peace that passes understanding that transcends understanding. That's the peace that he promises you and promises me. And the question then for us in our world right now, 
Some of you guys, you've got people, friends, maybe grandparents, parents in the hospital right now battling for their life with a virus that we didn't even know existed a year and a half ago. Some of you are just trying to figure out, how am I going to homeschool children another year? Some of you, my friends, Tyler and Raylan Jones in Portland, Oregon, have a beautiful son who is cerebral palsy and all of the, they've shut down the schools of cross Oregon and now these children are on their own. And how do they, like, what hope do they have? There is no path out of this that they can see. And I could go on, but my point is, Right now, in our particular world, if my hope is that, okay, masks will be gone by Christmas. I mean, maybe we should have learned that at two weeks to flatten the curve. Anybody remember that? <laughs> that was a joke. And then it was, well, if we just get this, then we'll get that. If we get this, then we'll get that. The point is, if that's where my hope is, is on some timeline created by some bureaucrat then I'm going to be forever living in sadness and fear because my hope can't be about that. I've got to have the realistic side of what's going to happen. Also knowing that the transcendent side is that whatever happens here, that there's something better and more purposeful that is going to be coming out of all of this because of Revelation 21. Revelation 21 isn't something that you say, hey, I need to get through this season of my life and then I'll get back to Revelation 21. I'm here to tell you, I think Revelation 21 is the very thing that can motor us, power us through this season and whatever season is to come. The, the churches that first got this letter, chapters two and three, you can go back and write and just look and see what they went through. The, the early church who received these letters didn't just hold on in this. They thrived and whatever they saw in this hope was what empowered them to be the church that would still exist today. The church could have easily have been wiped off the face of the earth, but something they saw, I believe in Revelation 21, was the fuel of the hope that caused them to have the courage. The courage, Rhonda, to go to, are you going today? Tuesday, back to Honduras. That kind of courage, that's not fueled by you're just trying to be adventurous. There's something deeper in that kind of a fuel. And I want to share, I've got three. Anybody else, did you all get nervous last week when Mark dropped 12 points in the thing? Like, like 12 points? We're going to be here a long time. And then he just rocketed them out. So now I've got a personal goal to do 13 points just to say I did one more. But, but that's not today. Today I've just got I've just these three things. There are more, by the way. And I encourage you to go today and to look at Revelation 21 and see things that you see in heaven and how they can now motivate and empower and fuel you with hope for what you have in front of you right now. The first one is that in the future, there is this fearless living that you see in eternity. There's no more fear. That is the fuel that shows us how we can live with courageous faith right now. The second one, lavish wealth in heaven. The dude is, I mean, I don't know if you've been around, um, I've been around a few wealthy people, houses, and I don't know anybody, I don't think anybody rich in here, so I won't hurt your feelings, but what is it with rich people and black toilets right now? Have you been into rich people's houses? Do you know what I'm saying? Think about your rich friend and do they have a black toilet in there? And I don't know where they get them at, but I've, three or four of my friends, I'm like, there is a thing here. I'm seeing a pattern. But, but in heaven, they're gold, okay? They're not black toilets in heaven. They're so rich, they're made out of gold. Lavish wealth there, 
brings lavish giving, fuels you to be able to give lavishly here. And then the third thing is that in this perfected life of living who we are meant to be in eternity, that it allows the fuel and the hope of the amazing grace that we sing about, that we know about on this side of heaven. The fearless living, the courageous faith. Here's what I mean. In verse 25, there is this picture of what it's going to be like. Verse 25, on no date will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. We, uh, we just installed the, um, do you guys know about the ring cameras? Are you familiar with the ring? Uh, we don't actually lock our doors. I don't know. We have a dog. Just, I'm going to put you on notice. We have a dog that would be extremely disappointed if you decided to come in and would probably claw your eyes out. But, but we've just never been door locking people. But for some reason, I've decided we needed a ring camera on the outside of our our uh, porch thing there in the driveway. And I, I, I attempted to scare my wife last night. We had just installed it. So she drives in and I'm like, hello, Shannon. You know, that's in the thing. And uh, did not know the, the neighbors were going to be standing next to her when I scared her. But um, point is, I, we put that there, not just to scare Shannon, but because we want, we just want to be safe. I mean, I'm fair, kind of what was there, but, but mostly for safety. You put it there for safety. If you've got, you know, stuff. In the future, there will no, no more danger. The gates are open. No more night. That is the kingdom that we're going to be in because there is no more danger. And in this side of heaven, we live in a place where it is full of danger. And if you've thought about the word that you have heard in a health crisis for the past 10 months, what is the word we hear the most? Is it health? No, it's safety. First Thessalonians 5.3 says, at a time when you're crying out for peace and safety, that is when Jesus will come. It's not lost on me. It's not that we shouldn't talk about safety, but nobody's out there talking about vitamin D and supplements and being healthy and trying to... We're not talking about that. We're talking about safety because at our core, by the way, in humanity, that's actually what we need at the core of humans is to know that we are safe. Knowing that in the future that this is going to be a place where there are no doors, no gates, no danger. It, I don't know about you, but that it motivates me to live with a courageous faith. I mean, David, was it just last month where you parachuted down into Nicaragua? Was it Nicaragua? Ecuador. Or one of the. Here's, what, here's how you know you're in an awesome church. I can't remember which country each one's going to because everybody's going. <laughs> El Salvador. That's, is, that, is that a safe thing to do? Yeah, the answer is no. It's not. <laughs> but, but you did it anyway. Because sometimes the risk is worth it. Because a courageous faith looks at the risk. Not a foolish faith, by the way. A courageous faith says, those children there are worth the risk. That is a courageous faith. Rhonda, this is what's your 14th trip? I mean, you, I mean, they barely even opened it up and you're like just jetting down to Nicaragua. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not screwing around. That's why they fit in here real well. That's not safe, but that's not the question. The question is, is, is it right? Is it what Jesus wants? And I promise you that the children, the 
parents that you're helping, is it worth the risk that you took? The answer is absolutely it is. It's worth it, that kind of courageous faith. And it's not powered by just being uh, stupid. It's not powered by lack of wisdom. Everybody's taking precautions. You're doing the wisdom. But at the end of the day, the, the, the risk is worth it. And at the same time, knowing that we're in a world where there is currently sadness and suffering and pain, people literally are in a hospital right now. We're living in a world where both of those things exist. He's going to wipe away tears, which actually means there are tears to wipe away. Psalm 137, 1, 2, and 3 is one of my favorite passages because you get a glimpse into what they felt in Jerusalem when Babylon had conquered them, kidnapped them, dispersed them into the nations. And verse 1, this psalm that says, that they uh, sat on the, on the waters of Babylon and we wept when we thought of Zion. The feeling that most of us feel right now is a feeling of grief. You're grieving the country you thought you lived in. You're grieving the safety we thought we had. We're grieving the way that it used to be. That's actually okay. Allow that grief, allow those tears. But at some point, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego had to wipe away their tears, stand up from the river, shake the dust off, and go back into Babylon and not bow. The courageous faith that comes from knowing that there is a city where there is no safety, no danger, because it's all safety. That's the faith that he's given to us in this. And we get to do it in a very unique and a very real way. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 28 that the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. My friend Chris Tyrell said that. Be careful of anybody that has to tell you they're a lion. Don't believe them because lions don't have to tell you anything. They just are. I, uh, I was trying to win parent of the year uh, in Uganda. It's been a few years back. First trip I went with Maddie. Um, that lion was a lot closer than it looks. 100% uh, closer than it should have been. And we did what you do. We took a selfie. It's crazy. Would you have respected me had I not have done that? You know, <laughs> my 16-year-old daughter. Now, in fairness, she was probably safe. That thing wasn't going to eat her. If he, you're looking at a prime rib. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> or a chicken leg. I mean, he was going for me. I show you this picture because you know what that lion did that day? Nothing. Nothing. You get out of a Jeep in Africa and you gazelles or whatever, they gone. They don't, they're, they're all, the wicked flee when no one pursues. They're, you can watch them. They'll be out there just staring around and, and then they just gone for no reason. And by the way, the way, this is a little tip, a little pro tip. Here's the way to find a lion when you're in the safari, when you're in bush, whatever. If you start to see Lots of animals, whatever, and they're all looking the same way. 
You can see it across the savanna. It's fascinating. They all know. And look where everybody's looking. And in the middle, wherever that is, is where the lion is. Because they're aware. And you know what that lion is? Unafraid. The lion's not a jerk, okay? The lion is not a jerk nozzle. The lion is not being arrogant or prideful or hurtful. He's just being a lion. That is the kind of faith that we need and the courage we need in the world right now is the wicked are fleeing right now when no one's pursuing the fear that you're seeing, but you are not the wicked. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Go out and just be the lion. You serve the lion of the tribe of Judah, the calm, fearless, peaceful, not rattled lion. The second thing here that I see is this idea that Lavish wealth then equals lavish giving now. When you think of the way that heaven is described, it talks about gates made out of pearl, right? Streets paved with gold. Now, Shannon, I love dearly. Had I have got on my knee and offered, uh, ask for your hand in marriage. And then I, I handed you a ring that had a nice, beautiful stone setting made of asphalt. She still would have said yes. Aw. But you would have been extremely disappointed. <laughs> Do you see what this is saying? These things that we value the most here I'm paving streets with them. The idea that you can't take it with you when you go, 100% true. But that's not it. You don't want to take it with you when you go because it doesn't matter to you there. It's of no value at all. We're going to pave our streets with it. There is a value on the other side that has nothing to do with money and everything to do with back in Eden again. In Eden, the connection that Adam and Eve had with each other, the connection that Adam and Eve had with God, it was broken by sin. That was when they became poor. What do you think it means when Jesus, for your sake, he became poor, he was rich, he became poor. Was it the money or was it poor in relationships? One of the things that we see in Haiti, in Uganda, is true everywhere. They are poor financially, but they're, David, they're rich in relationship. They live outside. <laughs> they go sleep inside. They, live out, they literally are together the greatest desire any of us have as humans is to be fully known. But the paradox is that if you fully know me, then I'm afraid you're going to leave me. Heaven, the wealth of heaven, is that I am now the ability, no more sin, it's all passed away. Now you can fully know me, I can fully know you, and neither of us are going to leave each other. There is no separation in it with sin anymore. We're fully connected, and that is way more valuable than gold. And I'll say, I want to make a slightly biblical case for this, because one of the best ways to make that kind of friends for eternity is in this parable in the book of Luke, chapter 16. And I say parable, I don't know that it's a parable, because he doesn't say, 
It's a parable. He actually is telling a story and it sounds like there actually was a rich man with a master and he was using this as a story to show them something. But be that as it may, here is the story. The story is, Jesus told his disciples, verse one, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, wasting the manager's possessions. So he called him in, asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. He's going to be fired. Now follow me on this, okay? I know we're getting end of the day here. It's getting lunchtime, but follow me on this. The manager is about to be fired. He's about to have no job. He's about to be on the outside. He's got his resume on LinkedIn. Nobody's biting. So he's taking the money that the manager that owned this money and going to people, Connor, and say, hey, you owe 150,000 bushels of corn. I'm going to like cut your bill down to 75,000 and make it half of that. I'm going to take your suffering and alleviate it. And he did this for multiple people. And listen to, as the verse goes on, verse 8 this guy, the master, commends him. You just took my money. You just started cutting deals with all these people to, for your own good. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, this is what I want you to hear. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, relationships, friendships, so that when it is gone... Okay, the asphalt on your, your ring, you know, gold ring wedding, it's going to be asphalt in heaven. When it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. By who? By the friends that you have helped with the money that God has given you. It's not even yours. You're using his money to gain friends. What does that look like? Let me tell you what that looks like. This week, this church sent 10,000, and I say this church... You understand this is not my money, right? I'm not doing anything noble up here. This is not mine. This is our money. $10,000 went to Asia this week. The children you see here were, were prisoners. They were slaves in a brick kiln. No education. They can't read. They can't write. We can't just put them in a normal school. So we're going to go ahead and just start some schools. These are children that you may never meet this side of heaven, but the money that you all have given in that is now making friends for you in eternity. This little girl, we, I know we don't show faces a lot, but we did get permission to show her face because just her face told such a story to me. That is the face of freedom. That is the face of a girl who couldn't read, couldn't write. She was making bricks. And now that is a door that she lives behind because she is safe. She's going to be in a school. She's going to read and she's going to write. And it was you and I that were able to use the finances that the Lord has given you to bless her. And you remember that video that it, I just love it and I hate it because I hate crying. My wife will cry at like a Hallmark commercial, like a, a, new, a new tissue commercial. It takes a bit for me. But let me tell you what'll get me. When you see an old man in an audience who has set free thousands of people from concentration camps and they're going to give him an, you know this video I'm talking about? They're gonna, they, he set all these people free. They're going to give him this award. And suddenly he realizes everybody in that room were part of the people that he had set free. And I was just a puddle. 
Okay, imagine that, and now imagine you, Buford DeFord, walking into eternity, being welcomed by little boys and girls and mamas and daddies that have been set free because of your generosity. You took the money that wasn't, it's the manager, by the way, is the world. The manager is Satan in this case, okay? You're using money that God doesn't even care about. He didn't even take that currency. Taking that and making friends that when you are entering into heaven, they are there to welcome you in. That's what that parable means. That is why you can take the lavish like wealth of heaven, realizing what it really is, then take the money that we have here and just give. And you know what's great? I love this. This is the best part. It doesn't even have to be that much. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much Melissa just sat up here, $33 a month takes care of a, of a, a classroom of a, a bunch of kids. And it, that's not that much for some of us. Some of us it is, and I understand that. But you understand like a dollar, that actually buys like four meals in, in Africa and Haiti. I'm saying that it doesn't take much. And when you're faithful with little, the giving much is actually on the other side. And I love it. He says, if you've been trustworthy in handling, verse 11, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true Riches, that's eternal riches, not earthly riches. It's a beautiful picture of why it is we do what we do. That in this side of heaven, we don't have a lot of control over whatever, but I have control over this, that we can invest in the kingdom of God and changing people's lives here for the time to come. The last thing that I want to share with you is that this idea of a perfected life then, right, is the fuel of the hope for amazing grace now. On the other side, it says in verse seven of 21, those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God and they will be my children. You see, those who are victorious, who are we talking about there? Those who dominated the political arena? Are we talking about those who are kicking butt and taking names? And, no, victorious. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. First John 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You overcoming the world, you being victorious, is you now stepping into eternity as a child of God. And I want to, I want to make sure you hear me say that. Because it says here, it talks about idolaters, murderers. By the way, it uses the word cowardly in there. It's a fascinating thought. The biblical definition of a coward is someone who is more afraid of what man has to say than what God has to say. We have had a lot of moments in this last year where we've had to make decisions that man has said a lot of bad things about. We at Conduit have decided we're going to lead by principle, not by optics. And being a coward is just simply that. But here's what I want you to show you, though. Murderers. Do you think a murderer might have also lied in their lifetime? Might have also cheated, might have also been vile. Yeah, yes, yes, and yes. So what is the difference? What are they trying to say here? I think this, that it's not about have you sinned, it's about have you made that sin your identity. The idea that this is just how I'm made, you just have to deal with it. 
I have a rage and anger. That's just who I am. You have to deal with it. That is called waving the, the white flag. And now I'm making that my identity and not being a child of God. Because it says that those who are victorious will inherit the kingdom of God. That means they have made their identity children of God. I stand here today, someone who has lied, but not a liar. I stand here today, someone who has cheated, but not a cheater. Someone who has idols, and I am not an idolater. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is my identity. And that is your identity for those who are victorious by believing, and you step into eternity and inherit all of this. Admiral Stockdale turned off his hearing aid. Punk rock. How punk rock is that? I would heavily advise all of us to, when we start to hear the nonsense from the Nerf balls, turn it off. Listen to who you are in Christ. Listen to who Jesus has created you to be. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there is no shortage in the peanut gallery of people who have all kinds of opinions. <coughs> Turn it off. And then ask yourself the question that Admiral Stockdale asked that night, who am I and why am I here? I am a child of the living God. And I am here to stand in faith, to stand as a new creation in an old order. Because there will be a new day where the old order will pass away. But until that day, I stand here as that new creation. Fueled. That means whether I'm homeschooling, that's where God has me for now. That means whether I'm in a job that I hate, but this is where God has me for now, that I can stand up with courageous faith because I know that there's a future that has hope for me. It means that even if I've only got, uh, like I'm in between jobs, I've lost my job because of what's happening with these lockdowns, that I can still manage to give a little bit because it's still investing into a future for us. And I can stand here today saying that, you know what, there are still sins that I struggle with. I'd like to give you a heads up. If you're 20 years old right now, when you're 49, temptation doesn't go anywhere. Neither do pimples, by the way, just heads up. <laughs> do you know that nobody told me that when I was 20? I thought eventually I wouldn't have zits anymore. They, they don't go anywhere. But I stand here today as a guy that still deals with temptation, but I stand here as a guy today that is standing in the amazing grace that was provided by the Lamb of God who is in here, Revelation 21, the Lamb. God and the Lamb are dwelling with us in that place. The reminder that we're not there because of what we do, but because of what he did. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you and bless you and send you out of here as courageous, fearless, Heavenly Father, thank you. You're so good to us. You're so kind. And Lord, we want to stand here today, walk out this door with courageous faith, not foolishness, not nutty stuff, with courageousness. Thank you for that. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.